0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church, and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today you can go anywhere in the city of Adelaide and the name of Jesus will come up. Everyone's got an opinion about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. If you go down to Port Adelaide, they use the name of Jesus every second word. I mean, everybody uses the name of Jesus. So we thought it would be right and fitting to do a series on what Jesus Himself said about Jesus. And in John chapter 8, there are eight I Am statements. And believe it or not, we are at week seven, which means this is the penultimate part of our series which means there is only one more part to our series. We're up to week seven. And over the last seven weeks, we have looked at I am the bread of life, which Pastor Ash did. And then I had the privilege of sharing week two, I am the way, the truth and the life. Kath shared I am the door, or many translations use I am the gate. It's interchangeable. Uh, Week four was I am the good shepherd. Week five, I am the light of the world. And last week, I had the privilege of sharing, I am the resurrection and the life. And I just love, love, love sharing the Word with you last week. To me, Jesus and the resurrection are my two favourite subjects. You know, without the resurrection, we're all wasting our time. Without the resurrection, all this music, all this lighting, all this uh, fellowship and company and enjoyment that we have is in vain, but it's the resurrection that separates Christianity from every other religion that is out there. Every other religion has a founder and that founder died and he never rose again. It's only Jesus that died and was in the grave for three days and on the third day he rose again. And that is a game changer a game changer. I love the fact that it says he used a borrowed tomb because he was only borrowing it. I love that thought. Wouldn't it be cool just to borrow a tomb? I I just need it for a couple of days. How cool is that? That's what separates our God. That's what separates our Lord. That's what separates our Saviour. You can go to other grave sites where there are other founders of men and women who started certain movements, but their bones and their body is still there, but not the grave of Jesus. It is empty. The stone has been rolled away. And that is the game changer. That's the thing that gets me in a church. It's the thing that gets me reading my Bible, particularly on sunny days like this, when the weather is so nice and we could all be down the beach. Without the resurrection, I would be at the beach today. But this issue of the resurrection is a game changer and thus changed my life and I trust it will change your life. This morning, Amen. Having said all that, all of those messages that I've just mentioned are available, free to download from our website or our podcast channel. Please, 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 church, take advantage of that for yourself and for all of your family and friends, which brings me to week number seven. And that means we're up to, I am the vine. Everyone say vine. I want to look at what that means today and how that applies to us. And so what I'm asking is if you would turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 15. John was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of those that was there and saw Jesus and heard Jesus and he wrote down what he saw and what he heard. And we're gonna read from his account today, John 15 verses one right through to 11. And I'm reading from the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. It says, I am the true grapevine. This is Jesus speaking. The reason we know it's Jesus speaking is because it's written in. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Everyone say more. More. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Now remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. (laughs) Apart from me, you can do nothing. Everyone So everyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, which implies there are such things as false disciples disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow." Most of the I am statements were shared in public, all bar two. And this is one of those private moments that Jesus had with just Him and His 12 disciples. Jesus shared most of the I am statements in public. This is one of them. The other was, I am the way, the truth and the life. With the exception of these two, all the others were public. And so Jesus has had the Last Supper. He's just washed the feet of Peter the denier. He's kissed the cheek of Judas, his betrayer. And He's announced His upcoming death. This moment was a very, very sober moment and the emotions of the disciples were at an all-time high and it was into this environment that jesus does his final teaching before his life is taken he did this to help the disciples get a rein on their emotions and i believe that this is why this particular teaching today is so applicable to you and to me because we live in a world that causes our emotions to be all over the place. We are living in a crazy time and season. If you just look at what has taken place in America more recently with the election, it's caused much upheaval emotionally speaking. There are people with all kinds of opinions about who should be in, who should have won, who should be doing what. And it's not just uh, confined to the country of America. America being the world power that it is, it affects all of us. Even us here in Australia, people have opinions. Even six year old kids in Australia have opinions about Donald Trump, which I don't get because six year old kids should be playing games with their friends, not worrying about politics, particularly politics in America. But I had a six year old come the other day and they just said to me, oh, that Donald Trump, I don't know if I like him. No, they said this, I don't know if I trust him. I mean, really? Really? It's come to that. And as a result, young people's emotions are just being scattered and, and all kinds of things are taking place. And it's this kind of environment that Jesus is speaking into. And so to combat the emotional uncertainty, Jesus uses just one word. And this one word is something that will change our lives. So I want you to listen up and lean in. And the word is simply this, remain. In the midst of all this emotional upheaval, Jesus does His final teaching before He goes to the cross and He says, remain. And He says remain not once, but 11 times in this reading. He says, remain, 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 remain. And remain means to abide. Many of you who are a little bit older than me would have been brought up with this verse and it would have been abide, abide. And abide and remain are the same thing. It means to connect. It means to grasp. Jesus is saying grasp. He's saying, do not let go. He's saying to live with. This word remain means all of those things. And He uses a vine as a metaphor to illustrate this point. His key point is remain. And in order to hit this point home, He uses the metaphor of a grape vine. And I wanna look at three things this morning that hopefully will help us to remain in Him. And as we learn to remain in Him, we'll be able to combat all of our emotions and bring our emotions in line with who He is. And as a result of who He is, we will know what to do. Yeah. Yeah? And so the first one is simply this. If you remain in me, you will live. Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, you will live. You see, grapevines or vines in general can endure any season. I remember when I was much younger than I am today, I was a little boy and I remember our dad planting a grapevine in the backyard. It was a tiny little vine and he planted it all those years ago. And all those years later, that grapevine is still there. I was around my dad's place just yesterday and I took a look at this grapevine. I thought, isn't it amazing? I remember the day this grapevine was planted. And then I started about all, thinking about all the seasons that this grapevine has endured. I think about the drought that it has endured. I think about the storms that it has endured. I think about the long, cold, wet winter that we've just had. The longest, coldest, wettest winter in 60 years. And our grapevine endured the coldest, wettest winter in 60 years. Grapevines can endure the seasons. And the branches, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And those branches which represent you and I will survive as long as they stay connected to the vine. See, it doesn't matter what season you are in. Seasons come and seasons go and we all face seasons. Every one of us has or will face a drought season in our life and every one of us has or will face a storm season. Too much water, not enough water and everything in between. We will face seasons, that's a given. That is a given. And Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, you will endure, you will survive. And not only will you survive, you will thrive in every season if you remain in me. Not if you do your own thing, but if you remain in me. Jesus goes on to say it in a really strong way. He says, in actual fact, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Everyone say, nothing. Nothing. Now say it like I said it, it sounded cooler. Nothing. Nothing. And you know what nothing means? And I've studied this and I've looked it up and it simply means this, nothing. Nothing. You can't do anything. You know all those things that we wanna do? No, Jesus is saying all those things you wanna do, no, no thing, you can't do no thing apart from me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These are Jesus words, you have gotta remain in the vine. The only way we can carry on ministry and carry on our lives is as we learn to remain or abide or stay connected to Him. It's much like a deep sea diver that's on the bottom of the ocean and he has an air tube going all the way up to the boat. While he remains connected to the boat, he can breathe. But the moment he becomes disconnected from the air source, it doesn't make his time on the bottom of the ocean difficult to swim. When you've got no air, it doesn't make it difficult to swim. It makes it impossible to stay alive. Without that connection to the boat, the deep sea diver won't struggle to swim. He will die. (laughs) He's not gonna struggle. He will die. And I wanna tell you, when you are not connected to Christ, when you do not remain in Him, you're not gonna struggle. You're gonna die. All your dreams will die. All your hopes will die. All your vision will die outside of remaining connected to Christ. Jesus said, If you remain in me, you will live. Who wants to live? And he said, not only will you live, but you'll have life with a capital L. You can have an abundant life, not just a mere existence, but you will live if you remain in me. Secondly, if you remain in me, you will grow. You see, no vine is ever planted without the expectation of growth. Again, going back to my childhood, I remember that day when our dad planted the the vine in our backyard. And I looked at this tiny, itty bitty thing. And then I saw my dad, having planted the vine, putting these strings of wire all the way up the shed. And then they went to the pergola. And I said, what is the wire for, Dad? And he said that the vine is gonna grow along the wire. And the vine is going to grow up the pergola post. And one day, the vine is going to cover the pergola completely. My dad put that vine in expecting that little itty bitty vine to grow. And I never forget as a young guy, getting all excited about the expected growth and going out there the next day, Thinking that what he said was going to happen overnight. And I went out there and nothing had happened. And I went to dad and said, Dad, there's something wrong with the vine. It hasn't moved. It's still the same size. And he said, No, no, no. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. And again, I can say many years later that itty bitty vine did grow along the wire and did go. Up the post to the pergola and did end up covering the whole entire pergola. The expectation of growth was there. And if any of you know my dad, if that vine did not grow, he would not waste his time with it and it wouldn't have stayed in the ground. He would have just ripped that thing up. He said, stupid vine. But it grew. And again, this is a metaphor of what Jesus Is saying through the use of a vine. He's highlighting his expectation that you and I would grow, that we wouldn't remain the same, but that we would grow. You see, Jesus loves us as we are. Whatever your background, whatever you have come from, whatever you've been involved in, know this. There is no exceptions when it comes to salvation. Jesus died for all and His salvation is available to all. No matter what you've been up to, no matter what you were doing last night, Jesus' salvation is available to you and it's available to all. He loves you as you are. He loves you dirt and all, warts and all, story and all, baggage and all, brokenness. He loves you and He wants you desperately to be part of His family. He is madly, passionately in love with you. As we come into this Christmas season, church, we need to grab a hold of this thought and share it with our family and friends and ask them to come and be part of our Christmas celebration because the message of Christmas is really, really simple. You matter to God and Your family matters to God. Your friends matter to God. Every person on this planet, seven billion people matter to God. And He loves you as you are. Your invitation does not have to go something like this. Hey, look, you've got a month before our our Christmas celebration. And so if you could just tidy yourself up, you'd be welcome. No, no, no. Come as you are. That's the message because Jesus loves people as they are. That's what makes Him such a great Saviour. That we don't have to do anything. We just come with our baggage and with our brokenness. That's what makes Him such a great Saviour. But He's not just Saviour. He's also Lord. And so as Saviour, He accepts us as we are. But as Lord, He loves us too much to leave us as we are. He expects us to be transformed. He expects us to change and to grow as we remain in Him. So yes, He loves us as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us where we are. Unfortunately, not everyone who grows old grows up. See, growing old is a given. You can't stop. The aging process. You can get liposuction and Botox and plastic surgery. You can do all that, but it does not stop. The aging process. Growing old is a given. But growing up, that's a choice. And that's why I know people who are in their 20s who are far more mature than people I know in their 50s. Why? Because choices that were made. And Jesus said, my disciples, my true disciples are ones that choose and make choices to grow up. Yeah. Growth is a result of staying connected to Jesus. See, I would say this, when it comes to growth, don't focus on growth, focus on connection. Yeah. Yes. Right. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 5, he says, After all, who is Apollos? And who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave to us. I planted the seeds in your heart. Apollos, he came along and he watered it. But it was God and only God who made it grow. We can only do our part. We cannot make growth happen. Our job is not to focus on the growth. Our job is to focus on Christ and make sure that we remain in Him. And I believe as we remain in Him, growth will be the byproduct. As we stay connected and close to Jesus, He will transform us. And what we will find over time is that the things that we used to do, we just don't want to do anymore. The things that we used to say and the way we used to talk somewhere along the line, that dropped off. Not because it was necessarily a conscious decision, but we were just in love with Jesus and we just wanted to be like Him. And it's amazing that in every relationship there is a dominant influence. Have you noticed that? I remember when uh, my uh, brother, my younger brother, would go over the road to our good friends, the North Easts, and and their younger son, he was a little bit of trouble back in the day, and he liked to get into all sorts of things. And it was interesting when when, uh, Baz, my younger brother, would come back from playing with Matt, North East, the troublemaker, he would come home and we always knew he'd been around that particular young man because he began to speak like him act like Him. He even began to smell like Him. <laughs> because he would, uh, when his mum and dad weren't looking, were, would be smoking. And, and, and while Baz may not necessarily have been smoking with him, just by being in proximity of the smoke, his clothes reeked of the smoke. Every relationship has a dominant influence. And when you hang around Jesus, He's going to influence your life. I promise you this church, you hanging around Jesus is not going to change Jesus. Yeah. Don't think for one moment that I'm just going to give Jesus a hand. I'll hang around Him. That is not how it works. You are not Lord in the relationship. He is Lord. And as we remain in Him and as we stay connected to Him and as we uh, abide in Him, we're going to become more like Him. And it's as we look back over time, just like my little great we saying, say, wow, I've really changed. I've really changed. Grown this season that I've just been through as a church and personally has changed me. I can't tell you exactly when, I can't put it down to one moment, but I do know with uh, barrage after barrage after barrage, thing after thing after thing after thing that we have faced as a church, as a couple, and as an individual this year, it has been relentless to say the least. You know what it's done? It's kept me not just close to Jesus, but very close. And having been through this craziest of years, I mean, 2016 can only be described as a crazy, crazy year. When 2017 comes, it will be like, goodbye, good riddance, 2016, welcome 2017. But I can say this, it's been one of the greatest years of my life because there's never been a year that has changed me as much as 2016. And I did not set out to make growth the goal I just needed to be close to Jesus he was my life source he was my hope he was my help he was my comforter he was my strength he was my air tube to the boat that kept me alive and I look back and think I'm a different person I know that and those that walk closely with me would attest to the fact that I'm changed and you know why I'm changed because I needed to change and guess what so do you We all need to change. And the way we change is through focusing on Jesus and staying close to Him. We've got to fight to stay connected. Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will live. He said, if you remain in me, you will grow. And thirdly, He said, if you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. You see, again, no vine is ever planted Without the expectation of fruit. Again, if I go back to my childhood, when my dad put that vine in on that particular day, he not only expected growth, but he expected there to be fruit. He would talk about the fruit that was coming. In actual fact, we love our summer fruit at the Rainbow Household. My dad's got all sorts of fruit trees in his backyard, and every one of those trees was planted with the expectation that there would be fruit and say, Tony, you can go to Woolworths and you can buy your grapes there. Oh, but Tony, there's nothing like having a grape straight off the vine. And you know what? He was right. And what I love about this little itty bitty grapevine that has grown and covered the Begola year after year after year, without fail, it has produced fruit and blessed us every summer. There's so many things I look forward to in summer, the good weather, the beaches, but also the summer fruit. Anyone else out there? like that. And so we see the same applies. God wants us to bear fruit, and not just any fruit, but fruit that will last. And for that to happen, we must remain connected. Again, when I would walk out the back door of our house that I grew up in, I would see the grapes that had fallen from the vine. Whether it's because the birds had picked at them or whether they just fell off, I don't know. But the ones on the ground always look different to the ones on the vine. Yeah. The ones on the ground soon shrank. The ones on the ground that weren't connected to the vine soon shriveled up. Yeah. The ones that weren't connected to the vine but on the ground soon got really hard. Yeah. Dry, wrinkled and hard. That describes a lot of Christians. One thing I never saw was dry, hard, wrinkled grapes that were attached to the vine. The problem is when we become connected to the wrong things. See, to be disconnected from Jesus doesn't mean you're not connected. It just means you're connected to something else. Don't kid yourself. You cannot be not connected to anything. Everybody is connected to something Even the person who shuts himself in a room all by himself and lets the world go by is still connected to his hurts, his fears, his doubts, his loneliness. Every one of us is connected to someone or something. And so the challenge is if we don't remain connected to God, then we'll become connected to something else. And that something else will not be healthy for us. This notion that I've got to keep up with the Joneses and we start wanting to be connected to the Joneses and so we've got to get a better car than the Joneses. We've got to get new clothes. We've got to do the new house. We've got to get the new dog. We've got to get the new this. We've got to get the new that. And all of those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but when we're chasing them with wrong uh, motives and our emotions are all over the place, that's when it becomes unhealthy. Likewise, relationships. Relationships. Relationships are a beautiful, godly thing. But the moment we let go of our connection with God in order to pursue a relationship, it it becomes unhealthy. When we spent time more recently with our uh, youth ministry, Kath and I were on the couch with Dan and Ashari answering questions about love, sex, marriage and and relationships and one of those great nights. And uh, they brought in a whole heap of questions that we'd been prepped for. And the age old question came up, is it okay to... Flirt to convert. It's so funny. When I was a teenager, that was a question asked. 30 odd years later, it's still the same question. And this notion that you can just flirt with people's emotions and feelings in order to convert them, it sounds good in theory, but the reality is it doesn't often work. It seldom works. It hardly ever works. And Kath made this great point. She said, and even if it did, If the focus is on you, if they have to flirt with you, then the attention is not on Jesus. So we don't want people coming to church because of you. It's got to be because of Christ. And so this whole notion of flirting to convert doesn't really equate in kingdom thinking. We become emotionally connected to the wrong things, things that are of lesser importance. You see, emotions are powerful things and emotions are good things. The problem is when we let our feelings drive our lives. To help me illustrate this point, I asked BJ if she would draw a picture of a train for me. And I asked her to draw a picture of a train for me to use for her uh, to get her creativity on paper, but also as an object to teach her of what I'm about to teach you. And so this picture of a train up here highlights what needs to be in the driver's seat and what should follow. The trouble is many people's emotions become the engine of our train. It's our emotions, our fears, our anger, our doubt that lead us to make silly decisions. And we don't bring those emotions into line with the truth of God's Word. And our job as believers, as we stay connected to Christ, is to allow His truth to override and to lead the emotions that we are feeling. So you can't do this life without somebody hurting you. You being hurt is not the issue. You being hurt is a given. And what we have to do is not allow our hurt to lead us. I'm hurt. I'm sick and tired of that church. I'm going to leave. That's not what we should be doing. And yet that's what so many do. I'm hurt. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave my marriage. What we need to be able to do is say, I am hurt, Lord. What they said really affected me deeply. We don't want to deny our feelings. We don't want to deny our emotions, but we've got to put them in check with the truth. And yet, Lord, I submit those feelings to you the one who knows what it is to be rejected, the one who knows what it is to be hurt, the one who laid down his life for me. And I choose to allow you as Lord of my life to have your way. And the truth leads us as opposed to our feelings leaders. us. For some, it's our past that leads us. I'll never get married again. I've got some young people who say I'll never get married. And they've got this philosophy about marriage that has not come from them. It's come from their past hurt based upon their mum and dad's relationship, more than likely. And they make decisions based upon their past as opposed upon the truth. Some people's fear of the future causes them to get off track and derail their lives. The only thing that's going to keep us on track is as truth leads us. When we are led by our feelings, when we are led by the past, or when we are led by the future, we will derail our lives. Do you know, theologians have come to this conclusion, many of them have come to this conclusion as to why Judas betrayed Jesus. they've come to the conclusion that Judas was so bent on a future expectation that Jesus would be a Messiah King in Jerusalem of which He would be one of the King's wise men, one of the King's closest companions. And he pinned his future with Jesus on an expectation of Jesus that wasn't real. It was something he fabricated in his head. It was something that he imagined and Jesus never said. And so he pinned his future on an expectation that wasn't based on truth, but based upon an emotion of something that he wanted and he desired. And on this particular night, when Jesus says, I'm about to die, his emotions got the better of him. He felt disappointed. He felt let down. He felt betrayed. And as a result of him feeling betrayed, he says, I'm going to betray you, Jesus. Yeah. And because of a future expectation, he betrayed the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. And before we get too judgmental of Judas, ask ourselves this, where have we done that? Where have we placed a future expectation on Jesus and it didn't come to pass? Or where have we placed the future expectation on the church that we attended? Or the person that we married? Or the children that we gave birth to? And it didn't quite come to pass. And now we're all upset, feeling disappointed, abandoned, betrayed and hurt. And we end up doing the very thing that we are accusing others of doing. And that's betray, let down and hurt others. The only way out of this vicious circle is to let truth get you back on track. It's the only way. Because if we're going to just hurt people because they hurt us, then it just goes on and it goes on. The only way we're going to break this vicious cycle is someone putting truth at the front of their lives and let truth lead them home. And the only way that is going to happen is if we remain in Him. I talked about 2016 being a crazy year. And I talked about saying goodbye to 2016 and hello 2017. But here's the real truth. 2017 may not be any better than 2016. And it could be a lot worse. And if I go in with a future expectation, it's gonna be better just because I want it to be better. And it's not, I'm gonna set myself up for a fail. Because God is in control. You see, church, there's a difference between a truth and the truth. In John chapter 8, Jesus says this, verse 31 Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth. And the truth, everyone say the truth, says the truth will set you free. It's the truth, not a truth. The reason there's so much hurt and pain and argument and the reason there's such strength to the argument is because we always present a truth. That person hurt me. That's true, but it's not truth that's going to set you free. They shouted at me. They should never have done that. That can be true, but it's truth that's going to hold you in bondage because it's just a truth. And the other person also has a truth. Well, you weren't listening. You ignored me. And so they have a truth. And so two people have a truth and they're both in bondage. Jesus didn't say your truth will set you free. Oh, oh, I wish that was the case. (laughs) Having said that, I wish it just applied to me. But anyway, (laughs) he didn't say a truth will set you free. In actual fact, a truth is very, very confusing. Have you ever listened to two people arguing? That that sounds good. That sounds good. And we can present a truth. But a truth will never set you free. Come on, Ben, let's come up here. It's only the truth. Everyone say the truth. And the truth is the truth that's not based on your feelings, that's not based on your emotions, that's not based on your past, that's not based on your future expectations. The truth is the unchanging truth that's found in the Word of God. That's the truth. Am I believing for a a great 2017? Yeah. But you know what, as painful as this year was, I would say it's been one of my greatest years ever. The closeness to Jesus, the things I've learned, the changes in me, it's the greatest year ever. So if I'm believing for a great year next year, maybe I'm actually asking for much of the same. I'm not Lord, I really am not. Be kind. But this I know. I make a much better follower of our Saviour than I do as Lord of our Saviour. And you've got to settle that. You've got to settle that today. You've got to settle. Much of the pain, much of the hurt, much of the pointing and the blame rests wholly and solely upon you becoming disconnected with Jesus. Yeah. You see, I, I am a great advocate for this particular series because this series is one of those truths that's gonna hold us on track. Yeah. We've looked at Jesus being the bread of life, the light of the world, etc. etc. And these are the truths that we need to hold on to and put at the front of our lives in order to keep us on track. If we don't, will get derailed. There's some of the things that we need to stay connected to. But God's put other things in our world, like the Word of God. Someone asked me, and I often get asked this question, and I've got a pretty standard answer these days. How often should you read your Bible? I often get asked that question. And my response is this, how often should you eat food? How often should you drink water? How about this one? How often should you breathe? See as physical beings we have as physical beings we have physical needs as spiritual beings we have spiritual needs You can't read your bible when you feel like it because you never will You can't read your bible occasionally because you'll be weak spiritually That's true for food And so it's not it's not because we are a legalistic church that we want you to read your Bible regularly. It's because we love you and care for you and want the best. And it's the only way I know how to remain in Him. God has given us His bride, the church that He wants us to attend regularly. And I honestly believe that our inability to go to church regularly is a reflection of where we're at with Jesus. This notion that you can love Jesus, be madly and passionately in love with Him and hate His bride, doesn't wash with me. I think it's a reflection that we're not close enough. We're not abiding enough. We're not connected enough to Jesus to be able to love the church, let alone our enemies. Yeah. Jesus said, love you. If you remain in me, you'll be able to love your enemies. Yeah. We can't even love the church who is for us, praying for us, wanting the best for us. It, it, it's, it's highlighting. If we're honest with ourselves, if we were to let the Holy Spirit in and minister to us, He would reveal just how much of a disconnect there has been come between us and Christ. Connect groups, these other forms of connection points in order for us to remain in Him, not to control your lives. See, that's emotions talking. The trouble is, they just want to control you. No, no, no. We want you to remain in Christ. Our, Our kids didn't ask to go to schoolies this year. But you know what? Had they asked, I would have had something to say about that. I would have had something to say about that. Not because I don't want them to have fun. It's because I want them to be safe. We have some older, more mature people down there helping the younger ones. But church, you've got to understand our heart and hear our heart. And when you read the Word of God, you've got to understand the heart of God. He wants the best for you. Will you stand with me this morning?